to nine o'clock, uh, and this is Ritz and Cures and uh, Dr. Nick Carr, Melbourne GP, and uh, Katie Miller, Melbourne lawyer. We are now joined by uh, Dr. Peter Langer, who is a geriatrician and general physician. Welcome to you, Peter. Thank you very much. And just before we move on into your field, we've just got a, a text that came through asking about the AAT, the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, our first topic for uh, uh, Ritz and Cures. Katie, this is probably for you. Uh, does that body look at uh, DHHS and child support in regards to orders and decisions? So it's a good question because, um, of course, in our federation, some issues are federal issues and some issues are state issues. Mm -hmm. When it comes to DHHS um, and uh, child protection issues, that's a state issue, so they are dealt with by Victorian courts and, and tribunals. Uh, and um, issues of things like child support and family maintenance, uh, that's more of a federal issue, not dealt with by the AAT, instead dealt with by the family court. Okay, good. Thanks for clearing that up. And okay. thanks to the question, Bruce. I like the way you said that, Katie, this is probably a question for you as if two doctors and a yeah. journalist were going to answer that one. Well, I think it would be very un very unfair to ask of the, uh, the, the medical professions, but you never know. You're both very erudite men, I'm sure. Uh, I'm I think the main thing is that um, if you aren't clear which tribunal you should be in, just contact um, either the AAT or the Victorian equivalent, which is VCAT, mm -hmm. um, and they will be able to tell you if it's theirs or if you've got to go to there the other go. one. Help you with that. Help you with uh, diverting uh, to the right body. Uh, doctor, I'll get a call. You drop the doctor. Peter Langer. He's. Um, in fact, I'm going to ask you this question, Peter. In 1977, we had here in Australia roughly 1.3 million uh, Australians who were over the age of 65. So that was that's about nine percent. Yep. Currently, we are nudging closer to uh, 15% uh, with um, $3.8 million of dollars of people. <laughs> How are we going for geriatricians uh, uh, fielding with that uh, added workload? Uh, so I think at the moment there's, there's probably a, a barely adequate supply in Victoria. In other states, unfortunately, they're really not so well served. Um, so colleagues in, in the Northern Territory, for example, really aren't um, uh, well served. Uh, and particularly when you consider that population in the Northern Territory might be experiencing ageing at, at a younger chronological age, um, then yeah, there's, there's quite some deficits there. And if you're looking at rural and regional areas, uh, then, then we're still probably not nearly as well supplied as we'd like to. Peter, I'm fascinated by that comment um, that you can need a geriatrician but at a younger chronological age. What is the age that people should start giving a geriatrician a call? Um, yeah, so I, I use uh, chronological advisedly. We really like to think about biological ageing. Uh, so ageing is, uh, is a very varied process in, in different individuals on, depending on different factors but that might be you know, personal to them or external. Uh, and I have some patients who are relatively young. Um, so, for example, somebody with Down syndrome for, for reasons of their genetic abnormalities might experience a lot of those problems of ageing at a really quite young age, and they might come to see me in their 40s, for example, with dementia as, as one of those problems. Um, on the other hand, you might see really fit and well uh, people in their 10th decade of life who really don't need me. They've got a problem isolated to a single organ and they're much better sticking with their cardiologist or the respiratory physician. And Peter, you're a general physician and a geriatrician. Correct. What's the difference? What does a geriatrician do that a general physician doesn't? Uh, so I, I think of the geriatrician as uh, being an internal medicine specialist but uh, not confined to... Uh, you know, one of those organ specialties uh, like the general physician, but also there's a couple of particular problems that afflict the elderly 
um, that we have some special skills in uh, that, for example, you know, dementia, cognitive problems, speaking about the more generally, or speaking about the more generally, falls, uh, loss of function, those kind of things. So is it really about uh, the conditions that uh, the patients may uh, be living with versus the the age, the number of uh, candles on their cake? Absolutely. And the, the number of candles on the cake is, is almost, but not quite, um, useless as a predictor of a lot of the things which we're really interested in. So is that to say that uh, a geriatrician's caseload is very much uh, particular to the sorts of conditions um, that we do see in, in kind of when the body starts to, to kind of uh, enter that uh, kind of more um, sort of frail stage of life? Yeah, correct. And um, I often think of it as, as there being weak links. Uh, and they might be uh, in increasingly, as you get older, you might not present in the typical fashion with an infection or an illness, but might present with uh, the system which is on its uh, you know, closest to the edge. So, for example, just standing up and maintaining stability might then mean that that, that patient might present to hospital with a fall, for example, but actually the underlying problem, which has tipped them over the edge, might be an infection, and it's often, in fact, multiple things. Got a mate of mine, and he's uh, he just came up to me the other day. In fact, Joe, shout out to if you're listening. He said, "Dave, we need we need another word for uh, for retiree. Retiree makes me feel so old." Now, Joe is in his early sixties, and I kind of get where his question's coming from. There is often a lot of loading and stigma with um, some words. What is about with geriatrician? Now, I'd imagine that would be quite inimical to some uh, to some of your patients as a, as a term. Uh, if I, yeah, if I can hark back to the etymology, uh, which was probably of interest to you, mm -hmm. uh, it actually refers to geri and iatrogos, so from the from the Greek from meaning old medicine. Um, so it's actually been co-opted in a negative fashion oh. to refer to geriatrics, whereas really it actually just refers to the medicine of older people. I, I want to touch. I want to touch on dementia, which is the patients that I see. It's one of the things they are really terrified of. It's something which I think all of us have seen or felt in some form through relatives or friends. Uh, this is something which, presumably as a geriatrician, you see a lot of. Where are we up to with dementia at the moment? And crucially, is there anything much we can usefully do? Uh, so I think we're at a stage where we understand uh, the risk factors for dementia very well. Uh, we know that some of those can be can, uh, are amenable to some intervention. We can change those. Unfortunately, most of that is, is probably in midlife, and some of that, in fact, is in early life. And I don't just mean about, uh, about genetics, but early life stressful circumstances can predispose you to, to a problem maybe eight decades later. Uh, in terms of treatment, yeah, really, unfortunately, still at baby steps. And that's probably because the problem does begin um, with those early life experiences and, and you're really starting to see pathological changes in the brain in midlife. And that's probably when we need to intervene. The idea, uh, so, I mean, I know a lot of people, I know some people who are in their 70s and it's always struck me the difference. Um, you can have people who are very much the similar sort of age and yet their physical and mental condition are just so vastly different. What do I need to do now uh, in sort of middle age <laughs> so that I'm in the really healthy Surely category not and not in the spry category? Um, un unfortunately, yeah, no magic cures. Uh, it's really the, the very good advice about maintaining a healthy lifestyle, uh, maintaining a healthy diet, regular exercise, uh, increasing evidence that uh, social interaction is incredibly important. 
in maintaining your health at that time and through into later life and maintaining your pursuits and, and living a happy and healthy life. So doing that in your midlife sets you up very well for a, a late life that may have a, that may have a, I said a lot of candles on the birthday cake, but have good function and good cognitive function, which is really what, when people, as you say, are concerned about aging, that's what they're really worried about. There you go, Katie. So maybe only one margarita on the weekend and not, <laughs> not five, as you were telling me the other, the other day. Um, I need to face you. It's absolute slander. No, not at all. In fact, you, I would imagine, Katie, you're doing everything right. I know that you regularly cycle. Uh, you do uh, eat well, keep well. I mean, this, this whole idea of a, of a healthy lifestyle, there's never a silver bullet, but um, that obviously gives everyone the best, um, the best shot at being well in, uh, in, in latter years, I'd imagine. Absolutely, very important. And the other thing, how did you come by? How did you come into this uh, field of uh, medicine? Um, when I uh, when I was a, a younger doctor, uh, coming into into working in hospitals, like I, I really felt like older patients got a pretty raw deal um, out of things. Uh, I saw that often they would get either too much treatment, uh, and one of the big things about geriatrics is is every treatment has harm and uh, older people, frail older people, can be more prone to harm from treatment than perhaps they might get benefit from it. So I saw that some patients were getting too much treatment and yet alternatively there might be those fit spry patients who are doing very well and might have an, uh, a lot of numbers on the clock but are actually uh, would benefit from some, uh, from some therapy. Um, so I was really motivated to uh, to you know, get some some equality and some justice in um, for those patients I saw not going so well. And Peter, you're doing your PhD on a thing called delirium. Correct. Do you want to tell us what delirium is and why you're studying that? Uh, so delirium is a condition that can happen at any age. Uh, it can happen to paediatric patients uh, and certainly young adult patients, but it is quite common in older patients and, and it's a situation where an illness in the body or a medication, either administer a medication, either administration or withdrawal or a toxic condition results in a sudden change in thinking and memory. Um, some very unpleasant symptoms like hallucinations and delusions can occur. Um, obviously, often behaviour changes quite a lot and it's an incredibly distressing condition for, for patients and family. Is it something that you encounter uh, in, in amongst your patients? Daily. Daily. Mm. It's a distressing condition. And, and you were mentioning earlier that medication is often a real problem for older people and one of the common triggers for delirium, it can be a simple infection like a urine infection or chest infection, but quite commonly it's us, the doctors, that do this. I know a patient of mine developed delirium because of the cocktail of medicines that she was on, not started by myself. Um, <laughs> and not the margarita that I was referring to. <laughs> but it was the medications that tipped her into delirium. This is quite common, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, so, there's, so there's a lot of medications which are implicated, medications for pain, some very common things, even uh, things which patients might get from themselves from the pharmacy, such as cold and flu medicines, can uh, can provoke that kind of thing. It's quarter to nine, and uh, after a brief song here from Amy Winehouse, uh, it's called Our Day Will Come, came out in 2011. Uh, we'll be carrying on our chat with uh, Dr Peter Langer, the uh, geriatrician, about not just this whole field of medicine, but also the whole notion of keeping strong and keeping well uh, into our... Uh, into our many, many deep years. This is Amy Winehouse with uh, Our Day Will Come.
There's a new voice for Melbourne. She walks the talk and she's always in step with what's happening. These boots are made for walking and that's just what they Tackle the big issues and take on the key players. Are you ready, Boots? With award-winning journalist Virginia Trioli. Start walking. Bring your brightest ideas and your best debate and let's talk. Mornings with Virginia Trioli starts October 14 on ABC Radio Melbourne. David Astle on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. 12 minutes to 9 o'clock, uh, Dr Nick Carr, LGP, Katie Miller, Melbourne lawyer, join me, David Astle, as we chat to Dr Peter Langer, who is the geriatrician and general physician. That's great. You've got a, you have two vocations that rhyme. You've done that very well, Peter. We were talking um, a little while ago about um, the whole notion of uh, powerlifting as an introduction to a song. I know that you've got a, um, a set of powerlifting gear at home, uh, Peter, and also you're very keen about martial arts. Are, are you proposing that these sorts of pursuits might be um, just as beneficial for someone in their latter years as well? Uh, perhaps not quite as vigorous uh, mm-hmm. as that, uh, but w- when people are concerned about ageing, what they're usually actually concerned about is the loss of function, the development of disability and, and dependence on others. One of the best ways to prevent that is to ensure that that simply the strength is good. So strength training uh, in a variety of different ways, variety of different contexts, whatever suits the patient is really, really valuable as a preventative and also for rehabilitation. So that's the... So that's the, the physical side. One of the things a lot of people ask me about is all these brain training apps. Uh, should I be doing these things to keep my brain af- active and warding off dementia? Does that work? Uh, so the, the evidence there is a little disappointing. Uh, so if you, if you do quite a lot of Sudoku and you're destined to get dementia for other reasons, uh, which, which aren't modified, then you're probably going to get dementia, but you'll be able to do Sudoku. So, so those brain training things are very specific to the task at hand. I mean, the human brain, human body is wonderfully specific in, in its training. Um, so, in fact, prob- one of the better ways to prevent dementia is strength exercise uh, mm-hmm. and a variety of other exercises. It's not just about keeping cardiovascularly fit, uh, which is important for reducing your cardiovascular risk and your risk of dementia, uh, but also there's a, a whole world of hormones which are released when you're exercising by exercising muscles, uh, which are particularly good for supporting brain function. Function. You may have heard about them uh, being actually a very important treatment for depression. Mm-hmm. Is that those lovely endorphins? Not just the endorphins, uh, although you know, those are indeed lovely. There's a, very, there's a particular crossword on a Friday in the age which yes. some people think Thank you, causes dementia. Right? But no, <laughs> don't you. Don't even. Don't even right. but, but I want to I want to ask you one of the things that we get concerned about, because this is writs and cures, this is a legal as well as medical mm-hmm. segment, and Katie gets very exercised by the concept of capacity, whether people are able to make statements that are legally uh, acceptable because they know what they're doing. So this concept that people have the capacity to say write a will, is that something as a geriatrician you have to assess from time to time? Yeah, that's a that's a core uh, role of geriatricians to, to assess this in, in keeping with the, uh, with the assessment of cognitive ability and uh, function which may be deteriorating very often called upon to look at issues around capacity in a whole variety of ways. I think one of the important things to think about is to think about is that capacity is very individual and, and it's specific to the task at hand. 
hand. So your ability to make uh, decisions and capacity around very complex things is, is quite a different bar to uh, something a, a good deal simpler and, and you can have capacity for some things and yet not others. Whether it's an issue of, say, capacity or the sort of exercises that um, are good for, for people who are older, um, how much do you think stereotypes about what we think old people should do or how we think old people should behave play into some of these issues? Yeah, I think they're, I think they're really toxic uh, and they're, by and large, um, deeply inaccurate. Uh, so, there's, uh, for example, there's a, a lot of conflation with dementia with... Uh, normal aging and as very clearly it is a disease process which is not part of normal aging and shouldn't be confused. Uh, there are normal changes of memory with aging uh, and generally these are very well compensated for by the accumulation of uh, what one, one might call wisdom um, but, uh, but other factors. So uh, that and other perceptions which are which are culture-specific, I might say, and, and, and uh, an unfortunate setting around ours. And do you ever experience some of that stereotyping yourself? I mean, do people rock up to your clinic and are they surprised to see who you are and perhaps the age that you are? Yeah, I've always found that um, interesting, I guess. Um, Peter I'm not sure is 41. <laughs> When people sometimes do have some kind of subconscious assumption that if you're a geriatric doctor, then you must be old. But yeah. <laughs> what about you mentioned depression? I mean, how um, widespread is depression amongst um, the older Australians? Uh, it, it, it's interesting because it, it does split in both ways, and inter- older pa- people are in general and on average mm-hmm. are actually happier. And mm-hmm. if you follow someone through their lifespan, they will tend to get happier. Uh, however, there's also a significant and inc- uh, an increasing compared to younger people rate of mental illness of a variety of uh, forms, and depression is, is certainly one of those. Depression is, is certainly one of those. That can unfortunately be a prodromal, uh, a, uh, an early warning sign of developing dementia. I want to take you slightly sideways because uh, a topic that's very close to my own interest is the concept of voluntary assisted dying. Now, you're dealing with an older population. Is this something which people come to you to talk about? Yeah, uh, and certainly that's, that's something which uh, which comes up in, in practice, uh, particularly when you're dealing with a population with uh, multimorbid, so with lots and lots of illnesses, uh, and they may well be developing a, a terminal illness. And one of those contexts in which it might come up might be about capacity assessment again, and, uh, and the, the Act has a, a lot of very vigorous safeguards around that in order to protect patients, and uh, an, ass- an assessment of capacity might well be a core role of geriatricians in that setting. And you yourself have actually been involved in providing voluntary assisted dying assessments for people. That's correct, yeah. Um, some, some people feel this is a clash between what we should be doing as doctors to care for people and uh, what this concept of voluntary assisted dying is all about. How do you feel about that? Um, so I think uh, you know you can you can hark back to those four pillars of, of medical eth- ethics and you know, autonomy, beneficence, non-maleficence. Um, can you go through those a little more slowly? <laughs> autonomy, <laughs> autonomy, mm-hmm. uh, and there's and there's probably a reason why I, I put that first. Yes, and, and I think particularly in this context of voluntary assisted dying, uh, I think what we're recognising in is is that uh, in our culture it's it's been recognised by the parliament. Um, that in this context, uh, autonomy reigns over some of those um, other considerations. The right to choose, the right to, you know, conduct your your own affairs. Correct. So the autonomy is the patient autonomy as opposed to doctors being independent or autonomous from something else? 
although if you're going to recognise patient autonomy, you must also recognise doctor's autonomy and uh, recognise that uh, have a moral philosophical objection mm -hmm. or philosophical objection. Mm -hmm. They have the right not to be participate. Munificence, was that the other pillar? <laughs> or what was the other pillar? Uh, uh, beneficence. Beneficence, not munificence, I was getting Sorry, confused. Yeah. Beneficence, which um, is basically good work and correct. working for and moral... Non Thank you. And non-maleficence, mm -hmm. which is often uh, summarised as, as first do no harm, although you know, in some contexts first is, uh, is, as we said, perhaps not first. Uh, and then um, equality or justice is considered the other pillar of medical ethics. And, and these are, are concepts which are often in, uh, in competition in some circumstances, uh, and you need to judge the relative benefits, merits of each argument uh, for each case uh, on, its, uh, on its grounds. Where are we in terms of uh, that? Uh, the numbers, as I suggested at the very top of uh, the discussion, uh, given that we're almost nudging uh, 4 million uh, Australians over the age of 65, um, that's some 15%. Is, is this a field that, it, obviously, it's growing? Um, you're encouraging uh, GPs and people, uh, med, med students, heading for this uh, area of, of, of geriatric care? Absolutely, uh, and uh, my wife's a paediatric oncologist, and uh, and I often tell her that uh, she, you know she's dying. Break well, that's not true, of course, um, but not not so necessary. And we really uh, have a, a a real need for geriatricians. I've absolutely loved my career and I've loved pursuing it, uh, and it's been very rewarding in a in a whole number of ways. And I'd encourage other people to take it up. Thank you so much for dropping in. It's been wonderful to get your insight into a, like an area of medicine that we haven't really considered. And, um, of course, it um, affects so many of us and will affect many of us to come. That's the whole basis of, uh, of the geri geriatrician care. Dr Peter Langer is, uh, has been our guest. He is uh, the president of the Victorian branch of the Geriatrician Society. He's also in acute medical unit at the Royal Melbourne Hospital working in the area of uh, geriatricians. Thank you so much for dropping in, Peter. Thank you. And uh, Nick 